Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, here this morning. We're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be in several different uh, chapters in John. And so if you find John, we're going to be bouncing around there. Uh, so uh, if you didn't bring a Bible or anything, it, it's going to be on the screen. You can follow along there as well. We're in the second week of our Not a Fan series. And the goal is throughout this series, last week, this week, and, and I, I believe we've got three more weeks in this, the goal is to try to understand the difference between being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. And sometimes we confuse those. Sometimes we think that being a fan is being a follower, but there's actually a difference. And we want to make sure that we're not settling for being fans of Jesus when we are called to be followers. And so we're going to start this morning by working through a little bit of a definition. And so we're going to use a definition for a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. Usually usually with the emphasis on the word enthusiastic. This last week, the March Madness basketball tournament has started, that big college basketball tournament. How many college basketball fans do we have here? Um, A few, okay, a few. Well, let's ask a question that may be a little bit more relevant to us, a little bit more personal to us. How many of you are Nebraska Cornhuster football fans? Okay, okay, a few more. Some of you crazies out there hooting and hollering, right? Um, yeah, that, that, that hits a little bit more close to home. Um, how many of you are wear red on game day, whether I attend the game or not, type fans, okay? A lot of you are, you know, you always know it's game day. You go to Walmart and you see red everywhere. The Huskers must be playing. How many of you are jump off the couch, yell at the TV type fans, right? Okay, you're sitting there watching TV, your kid's sitting next to you playing on their iPad, right? Because that's all they ever do anymore, playing on their iPad. You jump up, holler at the TV, and they're like, what's going on, right? But you're that, you're that enthusiastic admirer. Sometimes you go to games, fans are more fun to watch than the actual game. I, I think some college football fans, some NFL fans, those guys are crazy. They'll go out there no matter what the weather is, no matter how cold it is. They'll rip their shirts off, paint their faces, and yeah, go. And they'll just cheer on their team. They've bought their team logos, and they stuck it on the back of their truck. They're emotionally invested. But the reality is they're still just fans. That guy, no matter how crazy he is or no matter how loud he yells, he never gets in the game, right? He never gets tired. He is never in a position where there is any potential for injury. He's not going to blow out his ACL. He's not going to get a concussion. He's not going to break anything because he's just a fan. He never breaks a sweat. And though he may know all about the players and he knows their statistics and he knows their measurements and their weight and, and their strengths and their weaknesses, the reality is that very few fans actually know the players. He yells and he cheers But nothing is really required of him. There's nothing required of him. Sure, he'll pay some money to go in and watch and support his team, but he doesn't have to. He can stay home. He can watch from home. Nothing is required of him because he's just a fan. Now, we can be fans of other things. We're not just fans of sports teams, although that's an easy analogy. They're they're in our culture today. 
many people are fans of pop culture, right? Where we, we are fans of celebrity. And so you got shows like TMZ and all those other places. You got the magazines at the store that are feeding that need to be a fan of the pop culture. And some of you are fans of pop culture. You, you know who's dating who. You know the celebrity mashup, like dating name. You know who's divorcing who. You know who's cheating on who. You know who they're cheating on who with. You know who's rumored to be uh, with child. You know, you, you've seen like the baby bump pictures. And no, they're not really, that's not a real baby bump. It's just a bad dress that makes them look, you know, you, you know, you've seen those. And you're like, oh man, who? And, and you are fans of these people. You know um, where, you know the movies they've been in, you know where they were born, you know their real hair color, right? You know what is real on them and what has been surgically altered to make them look better, right? And though you may know all about them, you don't know them because you're just a fan. Jesus, it seems, has a lot of fans. Jesus, it seems, back when he was walking on the earth, had a lot of fans, and I think even more so now, Jesus has lots of fans. I think the church is full of fans. I think America is full of fans of Jesus. Um, those of us who watch from a distance are fans. People who celebrate from a distance are fans. Fans have the ability to back off when things get tough. Jesus has lots of fans who sit safely in the stands and cheer, knowing nothing of the sacrifice and the pain and the cost that it requires to get out on the field and actually participate in the advancement of the kingdom. You see, fans are people who know about Jesus. They can talk all about Jesus. They can give you like his measurements, his hair length and his eye color, talk about his sandals and his sashes and, and everything else, but don't actually know Jesus. They don't know what it's like to follow. They don't know what it's like to sacrifice. They're just fans. I want to read a section of this book called Not a Fan that I told you last week we're taking a lot of the concepts from. Um, it's written by Kyle Eidelman, and it's a book that I would highly recommend. But this is what he says in one section of this book. He says, Jesus was never interested in having fans. When he defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer isn't an option. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums, and every week all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in truly knowing Jesus. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. Let me say that again. The biggest threat in the church today are fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. You see, a lot of times when, when we preach messages, you come with an assumption of, 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 uh, or an understanding or a belief of who I'm talking to, who this sermon is for. So there are some times like, like you'll think, oh man, this one's for me and this is going to be nice. Or, or sometimes you'll think, oh man, he's preaching to an entirely different crowd and that's even nicer. Amen? Come on. When you think that he's preaching to somebody else, it's like, ah, oh, I just get to sit back and enjoy and watch because I'm just a fan here today. And uh, so, so there's always an assumption on who's he talking to, not a fan. When we say not a fan, we want to become followers and not fans. Most of the Christians, most of you who've grown up in the church, most of you who have um, uh, reading the Bible and you, you are feeling like you're doing everything you can to make yourself a good Christian, the reality is most of you are not followers, you're just fans. 
And so the message that we're sharing and in, in, in sort of the emphasis of this book is to believers, to Christians who think they're followers, but the reality is most of us are just fans. So don't sit through these messages and assume because you got the gold star in attendance or because you're serving in a ministry that you're a follower. It may just be that you're an enthusiastic admirer. You're just a fan. He says the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not so close that it requires anything in them. And you know, I was thinking this morning, and if you know, you're a, a fan and you're a Christian, you've probably already been like, well, what's his problem today? You know, he's been sick for too long. He's just getting agitated, right? <clears throat> the reality is, most of us Christians aren't even good fans anymore. We're not even good fans anymore. Let me pick on you guys here for a little bit. <clears throat> um, we, we're in worship today. Man, there was a moment there was a moment in worship. It, in fact, it was that, uh, that third song. Pull, pull those words up. It was the third song. I think it was the second verse of that third song. If you, if you can pull that up for me, I can't remember. Um, no, that's not it. The third song. Is, is, that, is that what it, okay. Um, I can't remember the tune. Help me out, Pastor Dan. Sing it, man, solo. You're on, buddy. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember the tune, but as, 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 this, was, as this was building in, in our worship service just a couple of minutes ago, his body bound and drenched, drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Go to the next one. <clears throat> Go to the next verse. Then on the, third, then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. And there's this moment, listen, there's this moment where, where fans have this opportunity to, to have that emotion well up inside. O trampled death, where is your sting? Put that back up there. O trampled death, where is your sting? I, I can't remember. Help me out. The angels roar, and, and, and you can feel that energy. You can feel that emotion. And man, this is a time where fans have the opportunity to get excited and scream and shout and cheer. But the problem is, not only are we not followers, but we're not very good fans. This is, I'm preaching better than you're amening. <laughs> I am. I am, and if you don't acknowledge it, I will. All right? Like we've forgotten even how to be fans and we're still trying to convince ourselves that we're followers but we're terrible fans. The angel roars for Christ the King. I hate the lights, the music's too loud. You know, I mean, man, like, oh trampled death, where is your sting? Like we have a hope inside of us as believers that eclipses any other hope. Death doesn't even affect us. I don't care if we're sick. I don't care if we're poor. I don't care if we're hurting. Death is the ultimate defeater, but our God has defeated death, and we as terrible fans can't even sing to him and praise him and get excited about him. 
We're trying to convince ourselves that we're followers, but we're bad fans. I was going to use a different word. Why? So, so we have to ask this question. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Getting excited about worship, that's not even being a follower. It's just being a good fan. But we don't want to be fans. Fan isn't the standard. God calls us to be followers. Fans aren't concerned about following Jesus as much as they're concerned about fitting in. And I wonder if that's why in moments like that in worship, it, it doesn't go where God wants it to go. Because fans are looking around and thinking, well, nobody else is going there, so why should I? Fans are worried about fitting in instead of following Jesus. Most of the time, fans will grade their relationship with Jesus on a curve. Do you remember in high school and college when, when your teacher said they were going to grade this test on the curve? And so you um, made sure the smart person missed the test, right? Like, you know, like back it off in this test because we're graded on the curve and don't you kill this curve. I'm serious, right? We, 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 most fans believe that um, their spiritual life is going to be graded on a curve. As long as, as I am more spiritual than the person next to me, I figure everything's fine. That's why some fans are almost glad when they find out that the Christian family that everybody adores, they're, they're glad when they find out that that child is rebelling because it lowers the curve, Right? And sometimes they're glad when that perfect Christian couple has marriage problems because it makes them look better. The curve has just been decreased. Now everybody thinks they're the standard. That standard is a little bit lower. So now I don't look as bad. I must be getting something right. Have you ever heard a story of a super Christian who messes up and instead of being sad for them and instead of praying for them and instead of your heart being broken for them, you feel like, huh, may not be as bad as I think. Any of you? Yeah, you liars. Lift your hand. I know you've thought that. It's easy to be a fan. Being a fan comes natural. Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. John chapter 3 and John chapter 3 were introduced to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is very important at the time. He's very important in scripture. Um, by virtue of his status and his position as a Jewish religious leader in that community. He was well known, he was highly respected, he was the epitome of a man of God. He was what it meant to be a Christian, and, you know, kind of in our thought. He was a member of the, the Jewish council of the Sanhedrin, which was a top tier, very powerful, very influential religious leadership council at the time. And um, this message, like I said before, would, would be directed here this morning to people that kind of fall in that Nicodemus category. Because uh, I know that there's a lot of us Nicodemuses here today. Like, like we know the answers. We've heard all the stories. We've listened to all the sermons. Man, this is old hat now. You're not hearing anything today that you've never heard before. But the reality is I think that for us who are Nicodemuses, God wants to stir something up in our spirit, and the Holy Spirit wants to ignite something inside of us that's going to change us forever. And so this is who Nicodemus was, a member of the Sanhedrin. He would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized, okay? So he's better than us, can we agree? 
He would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He would have spent a lifetime following, uh, creating, and now, most importantly, enforcing religious laws. Okay? Um, One of the most important duties for the Council of the Sanhedrin was to identify and eliminate false prophets. And so they, were, they would listen to people teach, they would listen to, to people who claimed authority, and they would make sure that they were towing the line, doing the right thing, and that they weren't being false prophets. And so at this time, when Nicodemus was there in the Sanhedrin, their number one enemy at the time was Jesus. So the Sanhedrin in, in unison had essentially dubbed Jesus as a false prophet, Right? They claimed him uh, to, to be a servant of Satan, right? And they wanted to eliminate him. They wanted him out. He was the number one enemy of the Sanhedrin, but there was a problem for Nicodemus. The problem was that as Nicodemus was watching Jesus perform miracles from a distance, as Nicodemus was um, sitting in the crowd listening to Jesus teach, as Nicodemus was watching Jesus interact with children who were supposed to kind of be pushed to the side, as Jesus was, or as Nicodemus was watching Jesus bend down and engage in a conversation with a a prostitute woman, um, Nicodemus was quietly and secretly becoming a fan. And that was a problem for him because he was a member of the council of the Sanhedrin. And so something happens in John chapter 3, verse 1. This is what it says. And there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Also remember that um, Jesus spoke very harshly to the group of Pharisees. And it's verse 2, it says, After dark one evening he came to speak to Jesus. After dark. Some of your translations, if you're looking at a different one, will say at night. At night, after dark. Nicodemus came to speak to Jesus. Now, Nicodemus was a very important person. He had a religious authority. People respected him. And so at any point in the last several days, the last several weeks, he could have marched right up to Jesus and the crowds would have split, that they would have made room for Nicodemus to walk through. He could have marched right up to Jesus and spoke to him. Every time that Jesus was speaking in the temple, Nicodemus had access to him. He could have walked right up to him. He could have engaged in a conversation with him. He could have talked to him. There was nothing keeping Nicodemus from speaking to Jesus. But now, for the very first time, Nicodemus approaches Jesus to speak to him, but it's after dark. It's at night. And I believe there's a reason for that. And that leads us to our first point here this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Fans minimize the cost. Fans minimize the cost. Nicodemus was becoming a fan of Jesus, but fans minimize the cost. Because if he would have spoken to Jesus at, at day, in daylight, if he would have asked his questions, his colleagues and the other members of the Sanhedrin council would have discovered that he was intrigued by Jesus, that, that he was um, giving some validity to the teachings of Jesus, that he was moved by Jesus. And if he would have done that, Nicodemus's reputation would have been completely ruined. He would have lost his seat on the council. He would have literally lost everything that he had spent his entire life working for. It would have cost him everything. So he really was in a difficult spot. And so instead of sacrificing all of that for the sake of a conversation, he came to Jesus after dark at night to minimize the cost because that's what fans do. Because after dark, 
Nicodemus could have a real conversation with him. After dark, he could avoid all the judgmental eyes. After dark, he could say what was in his heart instead of filtering everything through what the rest of the council heard. After dark, he was free to talk to Jesus without anybody listening. After dark, he could minimize the social cost of meeting with Jesus. He could connect with Jesus. He could talk to Jesus and still keep his reputation that he loved. He could talk to Jesus and still keep his influence in the city, still keep his seat on the council. You see, fans are happy to cheer from a distance because they're able to minimize the cost. And so verse 2, Nicodemus says this, Rabbi, he said, so he calls Jesus teacher. And that's something that he would have never done at the council. He would have never done that in the temple. He would have never done that if anybody was listening because to call somebody teacher is to elevate them to the same level of knowledge and influence and even elevate them beyond you. And for a member of the Sanhedrin to elevate Jesus in any way beyond them would have been grounds for immediate dismissal. And so even the first word, calling him rabbi, goes against everything that that Nicodemus was trying to protect. He says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Again, never would have said that in public. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Verse three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, if you really want to see the kingdom, if you really want to know God, if you really want to follow me, which The Sanhedrin, they'd reached the top, they'd reached the pinnacle. The Sanhedrin didn't follow anybody. The Sanhedrin had people following them. But Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, you have to completely start over. You, you, you have everything that you've worked so hard to build, everything that you know about following God, everything that you think matters as a believer, you have to walk away from. It has to be a brand new you, a brand new life. You have to be born again. You have to go back to the beginning, abandon everything that you know, and start over. You've worked to earn your salvation. You've worked to prove yourself as holy and spiritual and pious. You've proven to everybody around you how how many answers you got and how spiritual you are. But Jesus says, look, none of that matters. You have to be born again. Everything that you know is about to change. It it is a complete life-altering decision. You see, Jesus, Jesus didn't want Nicodemus just at night. He wanted Nicodemus during the day, too. But if Nicodemus followed during the day, he knew that it was going to cost him, and he wasn't there yet. And you see, for us, it's easy to listen to these stories and think, oh, man, good for Nicodemus. I wonder how this turns out for him. But the reality is this applies to us because Jesus doesn't want you just after dark. He doesn't want you just at night. He wants you during the day, too. But it doesn't apply the same way. You see, because for us, oftentimes, our after dark is Sunday. Our secret meeting with Jesus is Sunday morning here at church in this building. But the reality is Jesus doesn't want you just on Sunday. He wants you every day. He wants you every day. For, for, for those of us that, that are fans, this becomes our after dark. This becomes our at night. You think, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to connect with Jesus. And, you know, there are other people around, but they're kind of like-minded. Um, and so I can go and connect with Jesus on Sunday at church, but 
I don't want my coworkers coming in and seeing me singing songs and raising my hands because that would be weird for me if my coworkers came in and saw me. And so I'll come to the church and I won't invite anybody because if I invite somebody, they're going to see that I engage in it and then I'll have some explaining to do and it'll ruin sort of this, this dynamic that we have. And so, so Sunday morning becomes your after dark because you don't want anybody to know kind of how weird you are when you raise your hands and all that stuff. This becomes your after dark. Friends with moms on the PTA, you're fine with them knowing that you go to church, but you don't really want them coming and watching you engage with, with what God is doing and put yourself in a position to, be, uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart, come down to the altars and just allow him to fill you up with his spirit and the tears to flow and, and the emotions to come. You don't want anybody to see that. You wanna guard that, and so you don't invite them to come with you because this is your after dark. You don't wanna expose yourself in that way. I don't want people to see me being moved by the Holy Spirit, so I'm gonna stay back where I am. I'm gonna stay in my seat because, because this is my after dark. This is my secret meeting. Fans are fine to follow on Sunday. Jesus wants you to follow every day. So my question is, where does Jesus fit into your Monday? Where does he fit into your Tuesday? Where does he fit into your Wednesday? Where does he fit into your weekend? As a fan, Nicodemus was only willing to give after dark because he was able to keep everything that he held so precious. Fans today are really only willing to give about an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning as long as their children don't have any ball games that interfere. And the interesting thing about this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is we don't know what Nicodemus decides. We, we don't know what he's going to do. By the way, if there's, if there's anything that I say during this message that you, like, it irritates you or rubs you the wrong way, just go ahead and email me and let me know. Uh, send it to rj at mynsag.com. We'll take care of it right away. But, uh, <clears throat> but we don't know how Nicodemus is going to respond because Jesus just talks and you get into the whole explanation of what it means to be born again, John 3.16, all that other stuff, but we don't hear anything else from Nicodemus. Nicodemus just remains a fan until we hear about him again in, in John chapter seven. What happens in John chapter seven is, is Jesus is teaching in the temple. The people are coming up with their thoughts and their opinions about him. Some are thinking Jesus is like, he might be the man. Jesus is saying some things that I've never heard. He's doing some things that I've never seen done. Like It's possible that Jesus is God, and it's possible that he is the Messiah that, that we've been looking for. Others are thinking Jesus is crazy. He's a wild man. He's insane. He's demon-possessed. And so there really becomes this debate. John chapter 7, verse 13 says, But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public. Listen, nobody was had the courage to speak favorably about him in public for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of what the Pharisees would say and the Sanhedrin would say, so nobody had the courage or the audacity to say Jesus is awesome in public. They're a bunch of fans. Even though they had those thoughts in private, um, they didn't dare say it in public because of what it might cost him. So what we hear, what we see and realize is that Nicodemus wasn't the only fan. He had a lot of fans. Later on, when the Pharisees found out that some people were beginning to talk and some people were beginning to wonder if Jesus might actually be the Messiah, they became furious and they were going to put him into that. So verse 32 tells us that when the Pharisees heard the crowds were whispering such things, 
they and the leading priests sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. And so they'd had enough. They'd had their counsel. They said, we got to put a stop to this Jesus character. Go get him. And so they sent their temple guards to go arrest Jesus, bring him in so they could deal with him. Right, verse 45, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Then, they, the, then the guards responded, we have never heard anyone speak like this. Verse 47, have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? And so the Pharisees are starting to make fun of their temple guards. Are you drinking the Jesus Kool-Aid? Are you starting to believe him? Do you really think he's the Messiah? I mean, come on, he's a homeless man from Galilee. This can't be the Messiah. And so they're mocking the temple guards. And then they say, is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? The foolish crowds follow him, but they're ignorant of the law. God's curse is on him. And so the speaker of the Pharisees is saying, we as the most important religious leaders of the day, as the council of the Sanhedrin, are in 100% agreement that this man is a moron. He should be rejected in every way, shape, or form. We know the law. You don't. We're smart. You're stupid. We're spiritual. You're all all fools and a curse beyond all of you. And all the while this was being said, picture Nicodemus up here in his seat on the council being torn because he's kind of a fan. When he's saying, we're all in agreement, Nicodemus is like, not totally. But he knows that if he says something, this is in full light of day. This isn't an after hours meeting. This isn't after dark. And so if he says something, it's going to expose himself. So this is what happens in verse 50. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. And this is what he says. He says, is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? That's all he says. That's all he asks. Not a ringing endorsement. Not an acknowledgement of Jesus as a Messiah. He just says, look, guys. We have a procedure. Maybe we should just follow the procedure before we kill him. Like, let's, you know, he's basically saying, hey, um, point of order, that's not the way we do things. And he's just saying, let's, let's let him speak. Verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Jesus lover, Bible thumper, holy roller, right? Like, they're making fun of him. They're mocking him. They're belittling him. Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. So, so Nicodemus, he doesn't go all in. I mean, he gives himself a back door. He just says, hey guys, all I'm saying is maybe we should follow protocol. Maybe we shouldn't kill him and just abandon all sanity. And they're like, you're stupid. Are you from Galilee too? This is ridiculous. Let's kill him. And, um, and it really gives Nicodemus an opportunity to, to back off, right? He, he's not, I'm not saying I think he's the Messiah, Let's just, maybe, maybe if we let him speak, he'll expose himself and we don't have to do anything. He'll just, he'll just expose himself as a fraud and the people will abandon him and, and we won't have to do anything. This is a huge reality check for Nicodemus. He had to ask the question, am I going to remain a fan at night or a follower during the day? And so we get to the second point. This is what fans do. Fans always test the waters. Fans will test the waters. Nicodemus says more than any of the Pharisees for sure, but he, he, he leaves that back door open. He doesn't commit. Why? Because the cost is too high. It's still too high. We talked about co- counting the cost last week, and we talked about the fact that Jesus says count the cost. Know what you're getting yourself into. 
So Nicodemus is still in that I'm kind of undecided area, so he tests the waters for a little bit. He just says, maybe if I say this, it'll test the waters. We'll see what everybody else has to say. I say, are you from Galilee too? He's like, okay, I see how troubled these waters are. I'm going to back off. And he tests the waters, I believe, for a couple reasons. Number one, I think he tests the waters because he was really an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus, and he didn't want to see anything bad happen to him. But number two, I wonder if he wanted to put himself out there a little bit, test the waters to see if there were any other secret fans amongst the council. Maybe if I say, let's just let him speak, I I could make eye contact with another member of the council, and he may not say anything, but maybe he'll give me like a head nod. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Or maybe somebody will come up to me after the council and say, you know what, I I agree with you, Nicodemus. I I think that maybe we should let him speak too and, and hear him out. And that's what fans do. Fans will test the water to try to identify other fans because fans are afraid to stand alone. Fans always need a group of fans to to empower them, to to engage in in that that sort of courage sort of multiplier so that they can stand together. And so fans will never come right out and say, I love Jesus, I choose Jesus, I don't care what anybody else says. Fans will always test the waters. Fans play it cool. Fans will drop noncommittal subtle hints but leave plenty of room to slip out the back if necessary. We do this too. Fans today do this too. You have you have these kind of test the water conversations all the time. Maybe at work, a buddy says, hey, you know what, we got this thing going on this weekend, could you come? You say something like, you know what, I'd like to, but I told my wife I'd go to church with her this weekend. And, and you throw that out there because, you know, Pastor Chris was making a big deal about inviting people to church, and so you thought maybe this is a subtle way to, to kind of get this conversation started. So you throw that out there, I'd love to, but my wife, I told my wife I'd go to church with her this weekend. And you wait for the response. And the response is something like, well, church is dumb. Oh, yeah, I know, right, like, like, tell me about it. But, hey, happy wife, happy life, am I right, you know? And so you test the waters, but you give yourself plenty of room to backtrack. A fan's level of enthusiasm is greatly impacted by those around him. Like you say, you know, I would, but I I told my wife I'm going to go to church with her this weekend, and the response is, you go to church too? Sweet, I do too. Where do you go? And then it encourages you, North Shore, and it's awesome. Thank you, I was waiting. <laughs> you did it in the first service, you did it in the second one, I appreciate it. But it empowers you because fans are afraid to stand alone. You do this at home too. You test the waters at home in your relationship with your spouse because, because most of the time both of us are fans and we're trying to figure out like what kind of steps we're going to take to become followers and, and you don't want to overcommit so you fill each other out and so you ask questions, you have conversations like this. Hey, you know what, There's, uh, did, did you hear them talking about that new Bible study on Wednesday night? What do you think? And then you wait for the response. You test the waters, then you wait for the response. The response is, oh, I mean, we're so busy that's the only night that we have off. Oh, yeah, no, totally, I know, I, I know. I mean, maybe when things slow down, maybe, yeah, yeah, totally when things slow down, we could do that. But, but you test the waters, right? You know, um, honey, Pastor Chris keeps talking about this kingdom builder thing. You know, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, Pastor Chris doesn't know anything about our financial situation, so he can just stay out of it. Oh, yeah, totally, I'm, yeah, no kidding, I mean, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? I, I, just, I wasn't suggesting that we do anything about it. I just, I just wanted to know if you, I, just making sure we're on the same page there, right? I mean, as, as a fan, we throw things out there. We test the water so that we can backtrack if we need to. You know, 
I think that, I think that I'm going to, I think I'm going to start reading my Bible. I, you know what? I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to read my Bible. That's fine, but I'm not going to read my Bible. Okay, well, forget it. I'll just do it some other time. You know, testing the waters to see maybe he would be interested if we read the Bible together, but he's more interested in house hunters than the scripture. And so I tested the waters. I found my answer and I'm cool with that because I don't want to do this by myself. That's what fans do. Fans will test the waters because they're too afraid to stand alone. And a fan's level of enthusiasm is greatly affected by those around them. You see, they were mad at Jesus, or they were mad because Jesus hadn't been arrested. And then when Nicodemus had the audacity to say, hey, let's hear him out, they were like, shut up, stupid. Verse 53 says, then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. Now, I don't know what Nicodemus thought. I don't know the conversations that he had afterwards, but he knew that he was sort of toying with that line of paying a cost that he wasn't really ready to pay. This was a huge reality check, and um, we still see him as a fan and not a follower. The question still remains unanswered as Nicodemus' status. What's he gonna end up, a fan or a follower? So we don't hear about him again for about 12 chapters. Then finally, Jesus is arrested, Jesus is beaten, he's spit upon, Jesus is stripped naked and nailed to a Roman cross and he's hung there until he dies. You know the story. And then Nicodemus shows up one more time in that context. John chapter 19, verse 38. Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, listen, see what's going on. Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders Nicodemus wasn't the only fan. Joseph asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came who? Nicodemus. The man who had come to Jesus at night after dark. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. This would have been a massively expensive gift. Verse 40, following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with pieces of Long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Okay, let's, let's recap. Number one, fans will minimize the cost. Number two, fans will test the waters. But number three, there's a transition point. Followers, everybody say followers. Followers serve the king. Followers serve the king. Followers serve the king. Now listen to this. When all the other 12 disciples, those who had identified themselves as followers, when all those 12 disciples got scared of what's happening, they all abandoned Jesus and, and they let Jesus die alone and there was one disciple, John, that was still there, but all the others ran away. When all the other 12 disciples abandoned Jesus after he had died, Nicodemus and Joseph went to Pilate and said, we'll take his body. We're gonna serve the king. We're going to honor the king. And this was a public this was a financially expensive gift, a financially extravagant gesture to their devotion of Jesus. And we see that Nicodemus has transitioned from being an enthusiastic admirer to a fully committed follower. And how do we know this? We know this for a couple of reasons. We know this, number one, because the perfume would have cost him a lot financially. But most importantly, number two, that this action would have cost him everything socially. This action would have cost him everything socially. 
for the Sanhedrin to hear about Nicodemus going and honoring Jesus this way and taking him down and laying him in a tomb. He's honoring him. How dare him? It would have cost him his seat on the council. It would have cost him everything that he worked his whole life for. And what's most curious about this, as we get ready to close, what's most curious about this is the fact that we only see Nicodemus operate as a follower after Jesus had already died. In this moment, in Nicodemus's understanding of the things, Jesus could no longer personally benefit him because he's dead. There, there was no immediate benefit, there was no gain in honoring Jesus because he's dead and now dead Jesus can't do anything for me. And that's what fans do. Fans will say, well, I'll, I'll serve the king as long as I get something out of it. I'll serve the king as long as it, 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 it helps me. I'll serve the king as long as he takes care of me. I'll serve the king as long as there's some sort of financial or social or economical benefit for me. But followers say, I will serve the king if it benefits me, and I'll serve the king if it costs me everything. I'll serve the king if I get something out of it, and I'll serve the king if there is nothing that I get in return. Followers serve the king. And this is the last we hear about Nicodemus in scripture. We don't hear about him again. But Christian tradition tells us that um, he was martyred some years later. He, he not only gave his status, he not only gave his seat on the council, but he ended up giving his life in service of the King Jesus. Stand your feet all across this place. We're gonna close this way. Um, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me a prayer to pray. We've done this before, to pray over us as a, as a church here. So if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. And this is how we're gonna close. We got a couple of minutes left. And so I'm just gonna pray this prayer. And if at any point in this prayer, your spirit connects to it and, and you say, yes, this is me, I, I, this is me, I want this, my heart is connecting to this, this is, this is a prayer that I want to pray too. I, I want you to, and man, it's in the full light of day with, with people like seeing and engaging, I want you to step out from your seat and I want you to come down here, stand across this front area and raise your hands. And, and sing this song with us and this become a corporate prayer. And the reality is, if we can't do this here in the safe space of the church, if we can't do this here authentically in, in our at night, in our after dark moment, there's no way you're gonna do it tomorrow. There's no way you're gonna do it Tuesday. So if at any point this prayer connects with your heart and your spirit, I want you to come. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're sitting in the middle, you might have to nudge them and say, hey look, get out of my way. Come down. But this is, this is the prayer that I felt like the Holy Spirit gave to me. I'm tired of being a fan. I don't want to play it safe anymore. I don't want to minimize the cost anymore. I don't want to test the waters anymore. I want to follow. I want to follow at night, and I want to follow in the day. I want to follow when no one is around, and I want to follow when everyone is around. I wanna serve the king when it benefits me, and I wanna serve the king when it doesn't. I wanna serve on Friday when all hope is gone, 
when all hope is lost and I wanna serve him on Sunday when the king rises from the dead and all hope returns. I want to follow, I want to stand in the day. I want to follow, I want to stand in the day. If that's your prayer, you come and you begin to raise your hands, you begin to make that commitment, you begin to tell Jesus that no matter what, I'm going to stand, I'm gonna serve during the day. I don't care who knows it, I don't care what they think, I don't care what they see. I'm not content to be a fan anymore. I want to be a follower. I'm not content to be a fan. I'm not going to hide behind Sunday morning anymore. I'm going to follow with all my heart, with all that I am, with all of my finances, with all of my influence, with all of my energy. I'm going to follow. I'm not going to count the cost anymore. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I'm not going to minimize the cost anymore. I'm not going to try to test the waters anymore. I'm going to jump in and say, I am all in. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he leads me. I'm going to go with him wherever he goes. I'm going to stand with him when he tells me to stand. Let's sing this all across this place with all of your heart, with all of your energy. Let's just declare, we're going to stand with you, Jesus. We're going to stand on Sunday and on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And I'm going to stand around other believers and I'm going to stand around non-believers. I'm not going to worry if I'm standing by myself or in a crowd. I'm just going to stand. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Hands lifted all across this place. And that's you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us, or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.